Would you turn in your Bible to Psalm 39? Psalm 39. Now, to the choir master of Jeduthun, a Psalm of David. Psalm 39. Let's give our, give our attention to God's word. Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, thank you that your Holy Spirit has been given to lead us and guide us in truth. And I pray, Lord, that tonight uh, that spirit would do his beautiful work. Um, his transforming work as he leads us through the truths of God. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message tonight is The Sojourner's Prayer. The Sojourner's Prayer, taken from verse 12. I'm a sojourner uh, with you, a guest like all my fathers. This is the prayer of someone who uh, feels sort of somewhat lost and alone and far from home and all the frustrations that come with that. Uh, I wonder if you've ever lived for any extended amount of time away from what you would call home. We have some folks here who, um, that is true, uh, Vita and Vyadotis are from Lithuania, and I'm sure they miss uh, Lithuania. Uh, Vicky is from Germany. Uh, our daughter-in-law Lily is from Brussels, and uh, some of you, uh, home still um, has sort of a Dutch Nederlands ring to it. Um, and, and so when you live for a while away from home, there's things that you miss. You feel somewhat out of place. Some of the, uh, the surroundings, they're not just strange, but they're, they're wrong in a sense. I remember uh, with the first time I left home, went to Trinity Christian College, and um, it, it just, none of it felt right. The... Um, the air smelled wrong. It was industrial. We were going to get downwind, downwind from Gary, Indiana. I wasn't used to industrial smells. I was used to more agricultural smells. So um, dairy cows and diesel and dirt is what I sort of grew up with. And that felt right to me. And I, 
Every morning I'd get up and I'd walk out and it, it was just wrong. Well, one of the things that we experience as Christians is that in some sense, that's how we feel living in this world. It's not fundamentally right. There are things that just don't fit, things that don't work, things that don't make sense, things that frustrate us deeply, things that we long for profoundly and and have a sense that we'll probably never really get that in this life. There's a lot of marriages that bear the stress of pilgrim living, where a man and a woman uh, sort of thought that this other person would fill that that longing, and, and there's a painful realization that they don't and they won't. Some parents have deep disappointment as they, as they had hoped that their children would sort of make things right. And every once in a while, you get the sense of it. They're, they're small and they're lying in the crib and, and they're so peaceful and it, it seems so, so good, so full. And, and then they grow up and it's just not that way. In fact, uh, they can be deeply, um, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of tears. I was saying to someone recently that um, one of the things I'm realizing is that people in my age group and, and older, um, if, if, um, if you would ask them, what are the most painful things in your life, uh, it will often be a child that's wandering from the Lord or just going through a great difficulty, maybe even a child just uh, experiencing profound health issues, but uh, you never stop being a parent. And so uh, that's where we live in the world. We live with things that don't seem, uh, they don't seem right. We, we live as sojourners. And so this is a sojourner's prayer. David um, is talking to the Lord as he lives in this world. He senses deeply his, his sojourning status. He's a guest here, like all of his fathers. And, and there's lament here then. It's a psalm of lament. There's confusion and hurt and tears in this prayer. But there's also, underneath all this, as David looks to the Lord, we find your wonderful reminders and truths about how to live as sojourners to the glory of God as we look for our eternal home. And so I have two main points in the message this morning, this evening. First, David's pledge, uh, verses 1 and 2 and 3, and then David's prayer. Um, and that's, that will just be the basic, uh, the basic outline. Uh, David's pledge, he says, I, I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. Uh, for those of you who... who um, are sensitive about the way that you sin with your mouth, this is going to resonate with you. David um, intentionally wanted, was concerned about muzzling himself when he was in the presence of the wicked. Uh, he says, so I was mute and I silent and silent. I held my peace to no avail. There's a, um, there's a pretty common understanding in the commentators that Psalm 37, 38, and 39 go together. And, and it makes sense. Uh, in Psalm 37, David says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. In verse 8, specifically, he says in, first, in chapter 37, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. This was a challenge for David. He, was, he, he, he lived in this world of wicked men where um, they seemed to be they seemed to be doing far too well, and God didn't seem really to be... Um, bringing justice the way David maybe thought should happen. And so he's wrestling with this, with this problem, but he says, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to complain against God. I'm not going to raise my voice, particularly when the wicked are there. But 
as you've undoubtedly experienced yourself, um, you can zip your lip, but it doesn't quench the fire down inside. And so David said, I, I held my peace, but to no avail. My heart became hot within me, and as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. Have you ever made a promise to yourself? Maybe you're, you were going to some uh, event, some family gathering, or work uh, uh, get-together, and you said, I'm gonna, there's going to be a temptation at, the, at this gathering for me to say something that... Uh, uh, that I feel deeply, but I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't go there. I can't do it. It won't be helpful. It's only going to be hurtful. And so you just, you make a decision. I'm not going to say a word about it. And then two hours later, you're coming back and you're just shaking your head uh, because you tried. And yet that person maybe just said something or did something and <laughs> out it came. And I think that's exactly what David experienced here. He says, I made this promise not to sin with my mouth. And I think that verse 3 should end then with a period. Uh, then I spoke with my tongue, period. Uh, the ASV has a colon there. I don't think that, belong, I, I don't, uh, I don't think that fits. Uh, I don't think when David says, then I spoke with my tongue, he's not recording what he said. Uh, in the rest of the psalm. The rest of the psalm is David reflecting on that incident. He sinned. I believe, with his tongue. That's why he's talking about his sin again in verse 8. That's why he mentions sin, verse 1. See, the issue raised by verses 1 through 3 is, how do you live in peace in a world that doesn't work the way you deeply sense it ought to work? How do you live with real peace? Not just sort of uh, blithely floating through not really paying attention, how do, you, how do you live intentionally in this world, aware, awake, but at peace? How, how do you put out that inner fire within you that wants what it wants and, and senses the wrong that's around you and done to you, and, and, the, and maybe the sense that God doesn't seem to be really very much involved in it. Many Christians, you understand, live with low-grade cynicism and high-grade self-pity that, that brews just beneath the surface of their Christian life. They go to church and they read their Bible, but what's really um, functioning during the week is low-grade cynicism about God and the world and other people and, and high-grade self-pity. And so that discontent just is there under the surface and that fuels anger that fuels impatience that fuels complaining that fuels quickness to judge other people that fuels uh, slowness to forgive others that fuels just just um, just a, a general hardness sternness it it completely robs people of joy it robs them of calm it robs them of kindness and gentleness and long suffering and forbearing um, because there's this fire going on inside so how do you how do you deal with that see what we tend to think is that when we have a bad day you know when when we when we just lost it or we got impatient or we're just complaining it's just been a bad day well it's not just a bad day it was just a stressful day and the stress of the day exposed the underlying truth of a, of a restless, selfish, proud heart. That's what it was. So how do you deal with that? Well, that's a, that's a demon. Remember when, when 
Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples are trying to cast out a demon and it didn't work and, and Jesus, so Jesus comes and does it and they said, well, what, what were we doing wrong? And Jesus says, this kind, this kind comes out only by prayer. Well, that's what we're dealing with. This kind comes out only by prayer. That, that, that hard, selfish, self-pitying uh, heart can only be changed uh, by prayer. And, that, and so David prays. Second point, David prays. There's, there's three things he specifically prays for. The first is wisdom, verses 4 through 6. The second is deliverance, 7 through 11. And then finally, a comfort, 12 and 13. Notice first David's prayer. Oh Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. When's the last time you prayed like that? Lord, make me know how insignificant, how completely insignificant my life is. That's what he's asking. Give me a sense of the fleeting nature of my life, the incredible brevity. And, and David knows these things already. He recounts it in verse 5. You've made my days a few handbreadths. A handbreadth was one of the, the smallest uh, measurements used in, in the Hebrew um, times. There would be, it would just be four fingers. That's a handbreadth. So you get a few of those. And that's about it. That's your life. That's all of it. David says, that's what you've given to me. My lifetime is as nothing. Nothing before you. I had an eye exam uh, just this past week, and, and they have a little machine, and you, gotta, you stick your face there, and then little puffs of air go right in each eye. That's your, that's your life. Just before God. That's the totality of it. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Pause. Consider. Think about this. See, David says, God, I want, I want, I want to know this. I want to really get this. I want, to, I want to have a deep abiding sense of how insubstantial I am. How weightless I am. Verse 6, surely man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. It reads like the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. All this, it's all vanity. All the hustle and the bustle of busy men and very important women. And it's just shadow. There, you, you, you know, I can't make a shadow here, but it, there, there's nothing there. It's just a shadow. That's how much weight it has. That's what David, you said, God, I, I want to get this. Now, why is he so, why is he praying this prayer at this point in this way? And, and the answer is, you see, because hum, humility is, the, is what he's after. David senses that the frustration, the impatience, and the anger, uh, that, that, that fire within him, see, that comes from a place of of deep pride and a profound, um, overblown sense of self. A sense that I am very important and that my well-being and my interest in having my way, uh, getting my, myself served, that really matters. Why? Maybe you're like me. I, I assume you are. Why do you get impatient? What, what, what makes you impatient? Well, you might say, well, because people, people act like idiots sometimes. Or because the kids did the same stupid thing right all over again. 
Uh, why do you get impatient when you're driving down the road and someone's going too slow? Well, because I'm a busy person. I got things to do. Self, 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 self. Do you realize that? When, when, when you get impatient because somebody's driving too slow, um, that's just self and pride. That's a really big me, you see, at the middle of that. And, and as long as that is there, as long as self is large and prominent and weighty, you're going to be an angry, impatient, complaining, judgmental person. You can't help it. You are going to live out the reality of your heart, out of your deep pride and your self-importance. Nothing will change in your life as long as that pride and self-importance reside there. Nothing fundamentally will change. You can maybe do a little cosmetic change on the outside. You can learn maybe a little more self-control, but you're not going to be a grateful, thankful, joyful, humble, patient person unless God changes your heart. Unless you realize, you know what, I'm the, the truth is I'm nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm here today and gone tomorrow. My life is just a puff of air. There's weightlessness about me. That's what David wants to know. David wants you to see this mountain of pride and self that, that, that spawned his, his wicked speech and his, his anger and his frustration. That's what he wants gone. He wants to sense, Lord, make me to know the end of my days. Make me to get my, the weightlessness of my life because, because I'm here today and gone tomorrow and so are you. And see, and, and the, the Bible calls that wisdom. And the man who acts with all that self and all that pride and all that, all that importance, he's a fool. He doesn't understand the way things are. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us, Lord, to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Lord, make, make me wise. I'm, I'm not important. I'm fleeting. A fleeting shadow. And so that's his first prayer. He, he, wants, he wants God to, to humble him, give him wisdom, to, to, to just break down this mountain of pride and self. But then he also prays for confession. And now for, for deliverance, excuse me, verse 7 through 11, for deliverance. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. You see, once we understand how little we are, now we can, we can turn to the Lord in utter dependence and confidence in God. There's a transition happening here when David says, and now. He's, he's shifting. He's turning. Turning from this life that is uh, sort of come, lives out of or roots, is rooted in pride and self. He's turning from that. He doesn't want that. He wants, Lord, I'm going to wait on you. My hope is in you. Th this is the deepest, most important repentance of a Christian life. You see, we, we often repent of various, or, or we confess various sins. I, I lost my temper. I, I, I was impatient. I, um, I, I, I coveted. I gossiped. I slandered. I, whatever it might be. And, and those are clearly sins. But, but too often we don't stop and, and think about where did, what, what is that thing rooted in? And you see, what it's rooted in is self and pride. 
So, so the man who's struggling with lust and, 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 and wonders in bewilderment, how, how could I have possibly been so perverse and so stupid? Well, if he's not asking himself that when he's driving down the expressway muttering about the guy driving too slow, he's not connecting the dots. Or when he's impatient with his wife because she's, she's not lived up to his expectations somewhere. He's short with the kids. He's not connecting the dots. It's exactly the same heart, exactly the same person, you see, and the same idolatry that spawns both the, the, the gross perversion of, of the sexual sin and the very comfortable perversion of our impatience and anger. It's the same thing. And until you see we repent then of this deep thing, turning from self, You'll know you're growing in sanctification when you just start to grieve. How could you be so arrogant to be impatient with the person that's driving too slow? How could you be, how could you be so arrogant to be upset with your family, with your wife, with your kids, or with your husband because they didn't somehow match your... How, whoa, what is wrong with us? You see, then you'll know you're growing when you, when you start to identify that, that principle of self and you're turning from that and you're turning to the Lord. What, Lord, I, I hope in you. But he's hoping specifically, notice, for a thing. He's, he's, he's waiting on the Lord and hoping in the Lord for deliverance. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. He's, he's not just saying, God, forgive me. He clearly wants that, but he wants more. To to ask God to forgive me means, Lord, don't bring the the penalty of my sin on my head. Forgive my sin. Don't don't bring it down upon me. And that's a perfectly great prayer. We should pray it. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But but if you're, you see, if, if the Spirit is within you, you want more than just forgiveness. You want deliverance. You want to be freed not just from the penalty of sin, you want to be freed from the power of sin, the perversion and the pollution and the presence of sin. You want to be done with it. See, David's sin is is suddenly the great concern of his heart. Before he was concerned about the wicked, they're doing this, and, and God's not doing that, and he tried to bottle it down, and then it just exploded out, and he sinned uh, with his mouth, very possibly um, reviling God himself. Complaining against God. But now, now he just sees this, this awful sin. And it's so much. Forgive all my transgressions. My iniquities have gone over my head. They are too much for me, too great for me. I cannot bear them. Psalm 38. So, so David's just a broken man here. God, intervene and, and rescue me. Restore me. Deliver me from my transgression. I want to be done with it. That's a true prayer of a child of God. And and it's a wonderful path of peace in this world. You see, this this is the doorway into a different kind of life. This is how we become deeply thankful and and, and profoundly peaceful people. When we, when we realize that our sin is the great enemy of our joy and peace, not, not circumstances or people, and we come to God then, cognizant of our sin and waiting for his deliverance. When we are before the Lord in that way, it stills us, it quiets us. Verse 9, I am mute, I do not open my mouth. 
Why? Because it's you who have done it. We suddenly realize that God is at work in our life. It is you who have done it. And we submit then, you see, to the disciplining hand of God, to the leading, guiding hand of God. We, we don't understand exactly how it works and, and all that God intends in it, but, but our life is, is not being lived by our will or our power or the will or power of other people. It's actually being directed by a sovereign God. And so we can be quiet there. We can be at peace there, even though there's pain there. Look at verses 10 to 11. David's hurting. Remove your stroke from me. I'm spent by the hostility of your hand. He's, he's sensing the disciplining hand of God. I was just talking to someone this morning who, um, just a very short conversation about uh, how you doing. And it was written all over his face that it's been a rough week. And a very short conversation revealed it's a rough week as, as God is just showing him his sin. That's, those are painful days. Those are painful days. When you uh, just see the truth, maybe in a deeper way than you've seen it before, and it, it just breaks your heart, and, and you sense God's displeasure. It's, 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 a, it's a deep pain. I'm, I'm spent by the hostility of your hand, but it's, it's a loving pain, isn't it? God, the Lord does discipline those he loves, and, and David does not rebuke God in any way for this. He just says, Lord, have mercy on me. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. God's discipline is painful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, Hebrews says, but it is, it is part of the pilgrimage. And one of the beauties of being a Christian is that, is that even in the midst of the pain, even when it really hurts and we sense that God is, is doing a, a good and necessary but hard, painful work, we can still then cry out to that Father, that, that Heavenly Father who's disciplining us. We can cry out for mercy and grace and comfort. And so David in verse 12, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. Hold not your peace at my tears. Tears are a part of this pilgrimage. And David is, he's weeping. He's weeping because of his sin. We saw that in Psalm 38. You see it again here. He's weeping because it hurts to be a Christian. It hurts to be disciplined by the hand of God. So many of the Psalms are so rich because you just, you just see here the truth of what it feels like to be a Christian, to be a, a, a child. And David here confesses again his his weakness, his need. I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. That's the truth about our life. We are guests here. And, uh, but there's a rich, rich truth here. Uh, when, when David speaks of his fathers, he's not just thinking of dad and grandpa. Uh, but, but I think David is, is most likely speaking of thinking of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the fathers of the Israel nation. Remember, Abraham called to live as a sojourner, a guest in a foreign land. And in Scripture, Abraham really is in many ways sort of the, the paradigm, the picture of a, of a believing pilgrim, a, someone who is living by faith in God, but in a strange and foreign world, looking for what God had promised. In fact, if you just, let's wrap with this. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll, we'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 11, that great... Um, Hall of Faith. It's just such rich truth here.
Hebrews 11, look at verse 9 through 11. That will start with 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose builder, whose designer and builder is God. Here you have uh, Abraham, his father of the faith, living in tents. That's what the writer says. Uh, and and uh, some of you maybe enjoy camping, uh, but that's because you get to do it for a week and then you go home and take a nice shower and, and sleep in your nice bed. Abraham lived in tents. And the idea is that it, 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 was, it was movable, it was not comfortable, it was not home, but it was where God had called him to live, and it's what faith and obedience meant for Abraham. But see, what made, the, what made it livable was the hope. He lived in tents by faith. God had given him a promise. He'd promised him a city, a city with foundations, a place that was secure and established, unshakable, unmovable, and whose designer and builder was God. It was beautiful. It was glorious. It was magnificent. It was the satisfying of all of his deepest longings. That was the promise, and that's what Abraham held on to as he lived there in his tents. And that's where we uh, can go with our homesick hearts and, and um, on this pilgrim journey, we just recognize that this isn't the end. This, isn't, this, this is just preparation. There's something so much better coming. If you're still in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, these all died, these, these heroes of the faith, all, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were sojourners. They acknowledged it. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been speaking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Friends, this is what Christ has accomplished for us. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father, to seal to us the promise of a better country. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples? John chapter 14, is, he's about to go to the cross. He says, I'm going I'm to go away from you. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. I'm going to go build this city for you. That's what he's doing now. That's our hope. And God is not ashamed to be called your God. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? I can think of a thousand, a thousand reasons why God would be ashamed to say, I'm the God of Dale Van Dyke. But he's not ashamed because, you see, it was all about his promise. My salvation and your salvation was about his promises, about his honors, about his power. It's about his grace and his love. And God is not ashamed to be called your God because he's going to make you beautiful. He's going to bring you into that city, and it's a better city. There's nothing here that can compare. That's the promise. 
That's how we live in tents. We live in faith that, yeah, this world doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Things break and, um, and hurt, and there's tears, and there's frustration, and there's confusion, but it's a pilgrimage. And we have our hope fixed on the Lord, and we have our sights set on a city that he's promised. And God is delighted to be called our God because he will provide what he's given. There's a great a song that um, my brother directs, uh, Hope Herald's, that's where I've heard it. Uh, it's, it's just a song every once in a while I just put on just um, to be reminded and encouraged. It's called, By Faith God's People Stand. By faith God's people stand. By faith they understand that God has given them a city Never seen by mortal eyes, nor born of any human plan, conceived in the Creator's mind and fashioned by His hand. By faith, God's people stood. By faith, they understood that knowing God was greater treasure than a king could ever give or persecution take away. And being faithful unto death, they wear a crown today. By faith, God's saints will stand as countless as the stand, as the sand and stars, and round the throne will gather, singing praises to the Lord their God, and endless praises to the Son, whose name they kept, whose fight they fought, and victory they won. Friends, I, I hope that's uh, your confidence, that's your joy, that in Jesus Christ as we, uh, by his grace, keep his name and fight the good fight of the faith, we, we will have the victory by the grace and the power of God. And so uh, keep walking this pilgrim road. Uh, keep going by faith. Uh, settle in your tent tonight, uh, confident that one day uh, you're going to be in the city. God will not forsake his promise. He's not ashamed to be called your God. Let's not be ashamed to be his people. Amen. Oh, Father, I thank you for our Lord Jesus. I thank you that he came and joined us in this pilgrim journey and he walked by faith and obedience so that he could seal to us these precious promises. Father, this psalm reveals um, a great root of sin in our life, the pride and the self-importance that spawns the wicked things that come out of our mouth, the complaining words, the reviling words, the angry and impatient words. Oh God, I pray that you would convict us. I pray, Lord, that we would sense how, how wicked that root of self and pride is, how stubborn it is. And Lord, we need to be delivered because we cannot root it out ourselves. But you can, and shall we, we pray, Lord, that you would show us the truth about ourselves, that we really are here today and gone tomorrow. That they, that great rock of pride would be, would crumble before the greatness of God. And that we would become people then who more and more are learning to live upon Jesus. To live in, with the confidence that God has intervened on our behalf. And God has made us a promise, and God will keep his promise. Lord, you know the tears your people cry. I pray, Lord, that you would, I thank you, Lord, that you pay attention. I thank you, Lord, that our tears are not lost to you.
you do remember that we are dust. You have mercy and compassion upon us. And I thank you again, Lord, that you will keep us until one day we enter the gates of that celestial city and we see all the beauty and all the glory, all the magnificence of God revealed to us and we find that you've done that work in us as you have beautified us finally in the likeness of Jesus. Lord, that's our hope. There's nothing in this world that can compare to it. I pray that that hope would sustain us in the days, the weeks, the months, the years that you've given to us. May that hope grow uh, in our hearts and minds. That that, Lord, is, is what we're waiting for. And we are content to wait. It'll be worth it all. We pray that day would come soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.